Hello, I'm Dan Masterson, host of Strategy Talk, where we take a unique view of world events. We report news as history. With me today is the editor of StrategyPage.com and well-known military author, Jim Dunnigan. Associate editor and syndicated columnist, Austin Bay, also joins us. Welcome, Jim and Austin. Last weekend, something interesting happened. There was a ballistic missile launch on Rehad, right? Yes. And the thing was that surprised me is the press was more interested in how Donald Trump was eating his sushi. Rather on this, this is a, I was expecting this to be all over the news and there just wasn't much. Jim, could you talk a little bit about it and maybe address why it's not a bigger thing in the rest of the world? I think many people are aware we've entered a strange news age where the, the media is largely uh, uh, dominated by the, the, the desire to uh, change the uh, current president. And that results in what, I don't know, weird news. It's some people call it fake news, but uh, a lot of us have just changed the way we read the news. You know, we ignore whole, I can go through the New York Times or even the Daily News and just ignore page after page of stuff I know is, you know, <laughs> of dubious uh, provenance. Uh, but Saudi Arabia, yes, uh, it's it's finally climbing onto the radar. But Saudi Arabia was never a popular uh, uh, topic in the news media because it was always such an alien, uh, you know, situation. The uh, you know I've been dealing with Saudi Arabia or Saudi Arabians or or expatriates and what have you, you know, for for decades. And uh, they call it the, tra- the Westerners, at least, call it the tragic kingdom, you know, fantasy land. Uh, apparently, there are some Arab words I shouldn't repeat because I'm not entirely sure what they mean, but it's not nice. Um, and even Saudis, I call them bicultural. And I think I've mentioned that. We Well, it's been mentioned in Strategy Patient. I may have mentioned it here. They admit that, you know, things are different over there. <laughs> and then the next minute they'll come up and say, you know, it, it's it's a shame that the, the, that the Israel created ISIL, you know, or Al-Qaeda or what have you. And it's, it is odd, you know, and it's even more odd for the people who basically work outside the kingdom. As we've reported for over a decade, you know, since uh, 9-11 and then with, uh, you know, Iraq, uh, the majority of, um, of uh, you know, Islamic terrorists for al-Qaeda, for suicide bombing or what have you, uh, comes from Saudi Arabia, even today. And indeed, you know, you go back into our coverage, and we, we've covered constantly that battle the United States has had, you know, in, in the counterterrorism effort, to getting the Saudis to cooperate. And indeed, ironically, what really got the Saudis to cooperate uh, was the uh, uh, when we invaded I- Iraq, and that basically uh, drove the Al Qaeda uh, over the over the hill, as it were, over the top. Uh, because until then, they had been largely tolerated in Saudi Arabia, not officially, but unofficially, uh, and in many quarters they still are. Um, but that at that point they declared war on Saudi Arabia, which was a big mistake. They lost. The survivors, you know, fled to uh, Yemen and, and points and elsewhere, um, and uh, that's why Yemen is such a hot spot. And that's how ISIL got invented because the uh, the Uber fanatics um, basically had no more hope 
uh, of easily, you know, taking over Saudi Arabia, which was their their desire all along. Um, and uh, they basically, you know, uh, took up with their uh, their counterparts in uh, the Sunni minority in Iraq. And uh, that's where they first tried to establish a uh, Islamic state in 2005, I believe it was. But they got really serious in 2012, 13. And then they went into Syria and, you know, the rest is history, fairly recent history. The problem is that there have been many efforts in Saudi Arabia to uh, basically listen to the math. They have been using a lot of expatriates to basically, you know, run their run anything technical. As we've, again, detailed again and again uh, in strategy page, uh, until quite recently, the vast majority of the technical jobs and the entrepreneurial jobs were handled by expatriates, uh, which indeed wasn't wasn't unique to Saudi Arabia. You know, all, all the oil-rich, uh, you know, uh, Arab countries, you know, even Libya, um, if they get a lot of oil, the first thing is you do get a get a no-show government job and hire foreigners to do the real work. Well, that works up to a point. And uh, the Crown Prince Salman, or MLB, as I believe he's called for short, MSB, whatever, um, MBS. Uh, he he was uh, you know he was again bicultural. He's got a law degree. He was recognized as a uh, as a up and comer, but he was too young. Uh, we've described the dynastic process and strategy page, you know, uh, many times years ago. But basically, it works like this: Abdul Aziz, the founder of the Saudi Empire, was one of those reformers. Uh, you know, one of those rare people in history, and uh, he basically recognized that he had a problem with the, the Wahhabi uh, form of Islam. Now, uh, that helped him, actually, because, uh, well, you know, Saudi Arabia had been hardcore, that flavor of hardcore for, for over 200 years. Um, but that, that had and that had not made any difference because the Turks came in. They basically left most of Saudi Arabia alone because there was no oil yet. They grabbed the, the holy cities, Mecca and Medina, which are always a cash cow. Uh, this will probably get me a fat wire or two. Uh, and whoever, whoever controlled it basically controlled the uh, the annual hajj, the pilgrimage, uh, which was always there. But it, it got much larger when oil wealth was discovered and, more, and air cheap relatively cheap air travel, and now you have millions of people coming. But in, uh, up until fairly recently, well, 100 years ago, you know, you might have gotten 10, 20,000, but these were fairly well-off people, and they brought a lot of money uh, to the uh, to that small area in, uh, in uh, western Saudi Arabia, uh, which otherwise had no economy. The Turks took that over. They ran it for centuries. They did. The Turkish Sultan declared himself the caliph. Nobody was going to argue with him. Uh, that's how they became an empire. Uh, but when they gave it up, again, because of reformers, something <laughs> Austin has written extensively about, um, the, um, the, the place went into chaos. Now, at the same time oil was being discovered uh, early in the 19th century, the, uh, the Al-Saud and the uh, – Sham, another uh, rival family, fought it out and finally settled who was going to control uh, the holy places, which the Turks had abandoned, in effect, uh, when their empire fell apart in 1918. The, Hash um, the Hashemites. In the the ha 
Oh, no, that, that, there was another family. But anyway, yeah, the Hashemites were the ones who were technically uh, the heirs to the uh, controlling the uh, – that, that – the holy places, but there was another uh, Rashid, I believe it was. Anyway, there was uh, several large clans in Saudi Arabia, and the Al Sauds finally maneuvered with with some which is some extensive help from uh, from Ku- uh, Kuwait, which gave them sanctuary, and that's the only thing that saved that saved Kuwait when they were invaded in 1990 by Iraq. But that's a whole other story. Be that as it may, Abdulaziz not only you know conquered. All the other pretenders, as it were, to the uh, to the uh, you know the protectors of the holy places, but he basically made them friends. Now that can be dangerous. You all, we all know what happened to Julius Caesar, uh, but you know Abdulaziz was very much you know a shrewd guy. He had forty some sons, but that was the custom. Uh, and what he did was he managed to a uh, he put the the how should I put it the Islamic you know, warriors as the holy warriors in their place. There was a uh, Ilkhan, uh, the you know, a, basically a, a holy army, as it were, which helped them take over. Uh, they would not follow orders, even when he became king, you know, uh, the and protector of the holy places. They said, no, 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 we got to keep on conquering. You know, this is the eighth century, seventh century, all over again. Um, and he basically suppressed them. Now that was very bold, and and, and indeed, the, the current crown prince is in a way. Uh, taking after his his great-grandfather. And uh, uh, that takes a cojones, uh, you know, nerve and and skill. But then he also had the problem. He did that in part by uh, getting the senior clergy on his side. Now, he did that ultimately by, you know, trickery. Uh, For example, they opposed having radio in in the kingdom. And he got around that by staging one of his many you know, little demonstrations where he had brought the the, uh, you know, the scholars, the senior you know, imams in. And he said, well, now, listen, to, this is a radio broadcast. And he has somebody on the uh, on the other end broadcasting uh, Quranic verses. And I said, oh, my goodness, we can use this thing. The light bulb started to go on with these these tradition, all over traditionalists. And they said, OK, yes, we can have radio. Um, but, you know, pictures were still out, uh, as long as there's a lot of Islamic content and you can fill the rest of it with, you know, pro, pro solid propaganda, whatever. Anyway, this went on until the 1970s when there was a, there was a, uh, his first, uh, revival of the, uh, of the Ilkhan, of the, of the, uh, the Wahhabi f- uh, fanatics. He put that down. Uh, he had to call out his National Guard, which was the Saud family militia, to protect the, 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 the Saudi family from the rest of the Saudi Arabians, literally. And um, he basically made another deal with the uh, with the, the the clergy, as it were, which were all at this point on the on the uh, on the uh, royal payroll, on the, the, the national payroll. And they were paid quite well, but they were monitored. And they were given control of the educational system. Now, this was good news and bad news. You know, it allowed universities to open. It even allowed some women to, to attend college. Uh, uh, and But it didn't solve the problem of modernizing Saudi Arabia. He recognized this. He saw what was happening in Iran, which was run by a Shah at that point. And he, he, you know, he understood, and he, and he passed on to his uh, descendants, his sons and his grandsons, 
the need for this uh, this reform, but nobody wanted to do it. And, you know, so the current crown prince was basically put in the position by his 81-year-old father, the current king, because he said, this is our last hope. And what really propelled uh, that decision past all this tradition and inertia was Iran and the, uh, the basically the Shia, you know, dictatorship uh, in Iran, which had been running the country since the 1980s. Uh, and they were seriously uh, talking about uh, becoming the, uh, the guardians of the holy places. Um, and this basically was, uh, was, was uh, basically uh, causing the uh, Saudis uh, to, to go along with some of their allies, especially the United Arab Emirates, and make secret uh, you know, deals with the Israelis, which was an athma. Because the entire Arab world had gone along with this, well, except possibly from Morocco to a certain extent, Lebanon, uh, or at least most Lebanese. But the idea that Israel was the cause of all of our problems rather than you know, a solution to a lot of our problems um, and must be destroyed. Um, the Iranians basically didn't, didn't have an opinion. They, uh, you know, they were basically willing to do business with, uh, with Israel. Uh, but the uh, in the 1980s, the uh, the, uh, the the new theocracy in uh, in Iran say, hey, you know, we should get on that. We should get a piece of that too. Uh, and they've been preaching, you know, death to Israel ever since. Um, and uh, since they're the only ones who are getting close to having, well, they 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 created ballistic missiles. Uh, they they have or have not, whatever. Uh, they've been working on nuclear weapons. They have chemical weapons. We know that for a fact. Um, and the Israelis see them as the more serious threat than the Arabs, whom they had defeated, you know, handily in war after war, but really want to make peace with. And so far, they've only been able to make peace with, uh, you know, Jordan and Hashemite Kingdom. <laughs> Austin's got a point there. They the Hashemites were the smart ones, um, and the Egypt, which never really liked the idea of the the Gulf Arabs. You know, uh, hillbillies, that was, that was the kindest translation of some of the things they call them, um, having all this oil wealth. They just defended them because the, the Egyptians always saw themselves as the smartest, you know, uh, uh, Muslims in the room. To a certain extent, that's true. They had the major universities. Uh, they basically did the, 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 the world recognized in the Islamic world scholarship and what have you. Uh, but the Gulf Arabs had the money. And the only one that's really, uh, you know, reformed themselves to any degree is the United Arab Emirates and to a certain extent, you know, uh, Qatar. Uh, Kuwait, yeah, yes and no. Um, and uh, so now we have the problem where a, uh, a, 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 an heir to the throne is making a move. Now, this was unheard of in the past. Well, it wasn't unheard of. It was discussed. Uh, after, you know, Abdulaziz made it clear that there was going to be no strict succession, that there should be a family council, and they should select the son or the grandson, as the case may be, who is considered the most fit, you know, to, to preserve the Saud dynasty. And that was sort of followed, you know, it, if you read the history of the Saudi, you know, royal family, you, you realize that uh, money it quickly, you know, succumbed, uh, you know, overtook the uh, the good of the kingdom. And, of course, as the, 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 the royal family proliferated, they had multiple wives. You know, you could have four at one time, but you could easily, you know, uh, divorce one and bring in another one. And, and, you know, they would make uh, crude jokes. 
which are very non-PC in the United States, although many Americans tolerate them, um, about you know bringing new production online. Anyway, they, they churned out a lot of children, um, and but the sons rarely got a chance. They weren't encouraged to you know uh, basically get a technical education, uh, you know like like the Crown Prince did, uh, study engineering or finance. Now I, I've known several expatriates, you know Westerners. Uh, who spent years working in the uh, in the Gulf for the for the Saudis and and for the other kingdoms in finance, and I've asked them about this, and uh, and they say, well, they try, but it's just not a popular career. You know, you can hire a, you know a slave, in other words, a Westerner, a, a non-Muslim. Uh, although most of the the guest workers, as it were, uh, are uh, Muslims, and uh, you know, uh, and, and Egyptians, the the Palestinians used to be very popular until they supported Saddam in the invasion and threats on Saudi Arabia. So we have a situation where corruption dominated the economy. None of the Saudis were basically doing the work; are capable of doing most of the work. And everybody talked about reform. I mean, in the in the uh, in the eighties or the nineties, the uh, Saudi Arabia financed the Arab reform movement. Never got very far. Uh, in in twenty fifteen, they they formed a military alliance, an Islamic military alliance, to destroy ISIL. But that was as far as its remit went. Um, and a lot of Saudis, you know, especially outside the royal family, say, you know, this has to be done. And that's why the crown prince is still breathing. He has a lot of popular support. They, he was recognized as an honest man, very honest, meaning he isn't totally corrupt. Uh, and he went after the, the whales, as they like to say, you know, in, in the world of anti-corruption, counter-corruption, the, the, the major thieves. And these are all the, the, the ones that became billionaires and what have you. The ones, Westerners, for example, knew you had to go to and, 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 and basically make sure they got a, a large fee, consulting fee or whatever you want to call it. And, you know, it became more difficult uh, by the end of the Cold War because, you know, they, especially in the West, uh, they were cracking down on the bribery. So, you know, if you looked at some of these fee structures uh, too much, you said, that's bribe. Um, but uh, the crown prince realizes that, you know, he's the guy, you know, he's, he's basically got the best shot anyone has, you know, he's, he's, he's leapfrogging, you know, dozens of his elders, you know, his cousins, his uncles, his aunts and uncles, what have you, uh, and he's in line, his, his father is in failing health, this is probably why he made his move now, so basically, he thought it would, he basically, he must obviously think that this will strengthen his position, because when the king dies, there'll be a, there'll be still be a family council. The, the crown prince is supposed to, you know, have been selected by this council beforehand. That's why they came up with the crown prince position. Uh, so there wasn't a big scramble of a power vacuum, as it were, which could go on for months, uh, as happened occasionally, you know, since 1953 when Abdulaziz died, uh, to avoid that problem. So yes, uh, as the Chinese curse goes. You are living in interesting times, which means good luck, pal. You know, it could go this way, it could go that way, or as we like to say it in the West, sideways. Austin, where do you think it's going? Uh, that's that's a, a very fine and uh, detailed, pertinent details, uh, background summary for what's going 
one of what's been occurring, let's say, over the last uh, six months, and certainly within the last two months, as uh, Mohammed bin Salman, the crown prince, uh, made his move. Understand that several of the whales, as Jim called them, uh, their royalty, uh, I've read various reports on the number of, uh, of uh, members of the royal family that have been detained, in some cases arrested in others. Uh, I know at least the reputations of at least four of them, and it is exactly as Jim uh, uh, indicated. They, they really are. They're, they're crooked, crooked through and through, and they've been allowed uh, to uh, continue. Uh, to be to be crooks because they're members of the royal family and there's always been plenty of money. Uh, Jim has also outlined the tradition of bringing in outsiders. He mentioned Palestinians. There's still uh, many Palestinians uh, employed by uh, Saudi Arabia. I think they're now going by those are or they're going by Jordanians, not all of them. The Palestinians had had to, had to work. They didn't have uh, they didn't have money. And a lot of, many of them became got technical degrees in, in, in the oil industry. And you'll find, uh, still find, uh, Palestinian Arabs, uh, Jordanian Arabs, uh, you know, working for uh, Aramco and, and uh, related uh, Arab oil enterprises because they, they could hire somebody who would was uh, not necessarily Muslim, could have been a, 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 a Christian Arab, but they were hiring a, a, a fellow Arab. Saudi Arabia, just like several other Arab countries, faces a, something of a demographic crisis. They don't have jobs for all these young people, primarily angry young men who have seen the crooked, the crooked wealthy elites and those in the royal family to make out literally, like the cliche, like bandits. And they can't get a job. They don't have any prospects. This is one of the pressures on modernizing, in other words, educating uh, uh, the population and letting them take the jobs that they've gone to uh, expatriates, to, for, uh, uh, to foreigners and some of their, uh, some of their uh, <laughs> and Western Europeans and, Amer and Americans as well. Uh, that's in line with several moves that <laughs> Saudi Arabia has really made over the last 20 or 25 years. It's not new to uh, uh, emphasize education, even bring quality educational institutions uh, to uh, to Saudi Arabia. It's just that they couldn't. There was no breakthrough, and I think we have seen a breakthrough. I don't know how it's all going to break out in the end, but a breakthrough in dealing with the institutionalized uh, corruption and some of it around the royal family. Now, in a, Dan, in that uh, column I wrote a couple of weeks ago, I said that sometime in the last few years, sometime I think somewhere really in the last couple of years, Iran decided that Saudi Arabia was uh, internally weak, and it was a time to exploit it. May have been the last last four years. Some of it may have been. Uh, in, in line with the Obama administration saying that it was pivoting to uh, pivoting to uh, the Pacific, to Asia, uh, uh, it, uh, a signal that 
uh, the U.S. Uh, support for the, the Gulf Arab states was not as solid as it once was. It may have also been because of the negotiations over the so-called Iran nuclear deal, which we have talked a little bit uh, about in the past. But fundamentally, and Jim Jim talked about the Saudis' background in this. Let's talk about the Khomeiniist regime in Tehran. Since it toppled the Shah in 79, it has been an expansionist power. It's wanted to be an expansionist power, couldn't always do it. Got locked in that brutal war with Iraq when Saddam uh, invaded them. But it has certainly been involved in serious, violent troublemaking and corruption schemes on a global basis. In the 1996 third edition of A Quick and Dirty Guide to War, I think Jim and I, I think it was 17 different conflicts that Iran was documentably involved in and was a, played a key role in stirring them. And part of their part of the strategy on the part of the Ayatollahs and their and their Revolutionary Guard Corps is uh, there are two things. One, let's just keep our many enemies off balance, and two, that the that thrust of that global uh, Shia-led Islamic revolution that also included uh, a, a working with Shia Muslim groups really throughout the world, but primarily in the Middle East. Also, uh, also in, uh, in Africa, and to, to give a concrete example of it, support for Lebanese Hezbollah, uh, which is a Shia uh, Arab uh, movement, and it's, Iran turned that outfit into uh, a well-armed, now well-trained, and, and reasonably well-financed proxy force, both for. Uh, gaining uh, control in Lebanon, or certainly influencing Lebanon, and also threatening Israel, because Iran was going to show that unlike all the other uh, Arab uh, Arab states, okay, arguably uh, Saddam was also uh, threatening, you know, carrying out action against Israel, Iran was going to go after uh, the Israelis, and uh, until Iran got ballistic missiles and nuclear weapons, uh, the, the Lebanese Hezbollah and other proxy actors would uh, carry on the war uh, with Israel. Now, do you also hear coming in, we talked a little bit about this, the so-called Shia Ark, or the Shia path to the, to the Mediterranean, that's something that's... Uh, in line with the larger uh, goals that I just outlined by the uh, by the Ayatollah di- dictatorship, Saudi Arabia has always been uh, at least the oil fields that Saudi Arabia has have been coveted by the Iranian state. I remember reading in in the 1960s a fantasy scenario of the of the Shah's forces uh, attacking across uh, the uh, uh, northern part of the Persian Gulf, understand the Arabs like to call it the Arab Gulf, but it's commonly the Persian Gulf, uh, to seize uh, the, uh, the Saudi uh, oil fields or, uh, around, uh, uh, around Iran. It was, a, it was a fantasy scenario. Nevertheless, it was, what was its predicate was long-term enmity between Iranians Persians, remember Iran is Aryan, that's the uh, Iranistan, 
uh, is Arianistan, all right, as versus the Semitic, uh, Semitic Arabs. That was the predicate of this, of this uh, so-called fantasy uh, uh, scenario. And so we're finally, we're finally going to uh, re-establish a, a Persian Empire, and, and here we're going to take control of something that's worth a lot in the uh, uh, middle of the 20th century, and that's the uh, Saudi's uh, uh, northeastern uh, oil uh, oil fields. Um, now, Iran covets them. Also, covets, as Jim mentioned, the holy cities in western Saudi Arabia, which are now the, you know, you know uh, under Saudi control. That's a ton of influence if you want to be the major Muslim power uh, 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 on the planet. Uh, which takes us to Yemen, and uh, um, uh, uh, one of the, I've written two columns about this now, last two weeks about the Saudi-Iranian relationship, and also touched a bit on Saudi modernization. The Saudi modernization is a long time coming, but some of it is being accelerated because of the threat presented by Iran. That's something that you, you can see that I've argued, and you can see it popping up in things Jim's written on. Uh, on strategy page, I think that's a safe, a safe, a safe assertion to uh, to make. Uh, Yemen is Saudi Arabia's back door. Uh, the, the Iranians can't really come across the Gulf, not as long as there's a, a, a U.S. and Western European and uh, Australian ships and the Persian Gulf. And, and actually, the, as Jim pointed out, the Emiratis, UAE. And the Saudis, to some degree, have have got some uh, reasonably decent. Uh, the UAE has some excellent uh, air and uh, sea forces. One of the Iranian attack, and uh, certainly deter Iranian attack uh, on the front, the Persian Gulf front, so to speak. But the back door is huge. It's land. It's land based, uh, and it's uh, they've taken advantage of the Iranians have of the so-called Houthi movement. I understand that there's Sunnis in the Houthi movement as well. It's it's really a political slash religious movement that their their argument is, is that the government must be just. Well, that's a that's a great argument to make. Uh, that's hard to disagree with. But their view is is they basically distrust a central government. There are plenty of good reasons for Yemenis everywhere to dis- distrust the governments that have been the central government in, in Yemen. But what's Iran doing? It, even though there may be theological differences with the Houthis, the Houthis are willing to fight so Iran supplies them with weapons and not just uh, uh, light weapons and conventional artillery and the like. They're supplying with ballistic missiles. The, the shot from Yemen at Riyadh, which was fortunately intercepted by an American-made Patriot anti-missile missile, was uh, a warning shot at Israel as well, because you've got Yemen's another potential launch point for longer-range missiles uh, 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 at Israel. It's a shot at Saudi Arabia, but uh, it was a test shot, see if they could get away with it. Plus, as I said in the recent column, it gives the Ayatollahs some degree of plausible deniability. I mean, everybody knows they supplied the missiles, and they may actually have more than overseen the uh, missile launch. They, their own uh, operatives uh, may have uh, uh, actually fired uh, fired the missile. But it's 
Here's another base. Here's an extension of Iranian power. Now it's fragile. The Iranian presence in, in, in uh, Yemen is fragile. The Houthis are not totally their boys. Uh, it's hard for Iran to supply it next to impossible, but they can do it. And so the Saudis, uh, time for the Saudis to move. I won't go in and, 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 and open up how successful the Saudi coalition has been in Yemen. It's not, not been all that successful. And yes, Yemen has a huge humanitarian crisis on its hands. I think it's wrong to blame the Saudis for that. Blame the Iranians and Houthis uh, uh, as well. It's a, but it is a genuine huge mess and a potential humanitarian catastrophe. That said, the Saudis see the threat that Iran presents, and yes, Iran threatens Israel. So what we're seeing emerge, and uh, I, again, I wrote about, you know, is it a, is this Saudi-Israel alliance uh, e- emerging? I think there's been a quasi-alliance for a long time. Uh, recent column, I point out evidence uh, for that, uh, Jim can tell you there was they had the constant discussions for de- uh, for decades, even during the time of, of ritual hate aimed at the uh, aimed at the Israelis, because the Israelis have the technical capability to uh, not only deter Iran but to actually provide uh, launch credible offensive strikes. Uh, this is a a sea change in at least the per- perceptual politics in uh, the uh, in the Middle East. And as Jim said, uh, may you, the, uh, what's the old Chinese? It's a Chinese curse. May you an interesting times. These are extremely interesting times on the uh, Arabian Peninsula and, and in the Persian Gulf. We haven't given much, uh, haven't talked about Iranian reaction to what they, to the Saudi reaction and the Israeli reaction. I think there must be some surprise back in Tehran, because this is not this isn't what they uh, what they uh, they calculate. But that is just a supposition at this point. How about that, Jim? You know, we're running up on forty minutes here already. Yeah, uh, yeah. Let me let me just sum up. Uh, the yes, the the worst nightmare uh, for the Iranians are more competent uh, Arabs. The one reason the Iran is feared is that it's no you know accident that the the Gulf there is called traditionally the Persian Gulf. It's the Persians who basically rolled in. I guess about the same time the the uh, the you know the, uh, the the similar tribes rolled into northern India uh, three thousand four thousand years ago. Uh, they were basically shrewder than the Arabs. Well, the Arabs had nothing. Well, actually, they did. I mean, they had they had Syria. They had uh, what is now they uh, they dominated the uh, what what we now call Iraq or at least southern Iraq. Uh, Baghdad was always a magnificent city, no matter what the religion was. Um, but the the Persians, uh, the only thing that kept them from conquering the world was the fact that they would fight each other. Uh, and uh, whenever they got you know unified, they were dangerous. Indeed, the only time you know that the, the Greeks uh, conquered uh, Persia because the Persians were having one of their perennial you know civil wars. They were in disarray, and in March Alexander. 
and boom, 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 the rest is history. Uh, the Romans, uh, as I pointed out before, you know, when he was assassinated, he was uh, he was leaving the Senate to go to Syria, where he had already ordered the assembly of the largest force, one of the largest forces the uh, the uh, the Romans ever assembled in one place, fifteen uh, legions, and he was going to avenge his uh, his his uh, you know uh, uh, his. The guy who backed him into power, a very wealthy Roman called Crassus, who thought money, you know, meant brains, um, and he got himself killed, and under the Roman army wiped out by the the Iranians. Caesar thought he could do better, so that's one of those great what ifs we'll never know. But uh, after Caesar died, they basically, you know, established a a, a, a truce, as it were, with the, with the Persians. They left each other alone, um, and uh, and and but and, but then the you know, the Persians got hit by the Mongols. Uh, one damn thing after another. Oil was discovered. But in the meantime, the West, had, uh, the, the Persians had become Muslims. Uh, and uh, that meant, you know, no progress technically. Not as much as the West. The West had gone through the, you know, the Reformation, the, uh, you know, the Industrial Revolution, Enlightenment, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, we learned to separate church from state, which was a uh, which is a unique thing, which the uh, the Islamic world never basically is still wrestling with. Um, and the the Iranians are faced with their a moment to recover their empire, and bingo. You know, the world has changed on them. It's unfair. It's not right. But, you know, it's, it's brought about some very interesting politics because the Iranians are trying to uh, – the Russians and the, and the Turks, traditional enemies, all three, you know, our, our traditional antagonists are trying to form an, an alliance to, uh, to defeat ISIL and to, to, to – nobody's sure exactly what they're trying to do except for Iran. Iran has been very clear. They want to take over the uh, Islamic world. They want to be the premier uh, power in the Islamic world. They want to control all, almost all the oil in the uh, the, the, the Persian Gulf uh, and, and the holy places and, and, and of course, destroy Israel. And there are just too many people in the in the region who oppose that, but are again like the Persian Empire. They're divided. Well, now they're getting united. Uh, it seems you know uh, like a black swan event, like a very rare. It shouldn't be able to happen, but it is happening. And one thing the, that upset the Iranians in, in Yemen when the uh, when the Arab coalition intervened was they used air power. Now, for years the Arabs thought, well, hey, the, the you know the uh, uh, the Arabs are buying all these these modern aircraft, uh, you know, and smart bombs and stuff like that. But they're Arabs; they can't use them. Well, they could use them, uh, and they could use them very effectively. And, and worse, they were getting a lot of uh, combat experience. Uh, then, of course, they they thought, well, we got ballistic missiles. Well, the the Saudis have you know Patriot anti-missile missiles, and they work. And even under you know Arab control. They work now. Granted, they're not entirely Arab, uh, you know, Saudi crews, but most of them are. Um, and and the and the Arabs have learned over generations how to use their their Western their hired slaves, as they again call them. It's not it's 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 a nasty joke, but I mean, let's let's be honest. That's their attitude. Um, they've learned to adapt to their their shortcomings. And the, the Iranians, you know, that they weren't expecting this. So they, as Austin pointed out, they're making their move. Um, and, uh, you know, everybody's getting nervous. 
because the uh, the basically the uh, the Israelis are the only ones with nuclear weapons, and they had the best case for using them. By the way, if they're about to be destroyed, they say, "Look, you know, never again." We've been through this, you know, <laughs> several times in the last century, and uh, uh, we're just not going to let it happen again. And uh, countries like Jordan and and in Egypt, or at least the leadership, realize this. Uh, the Turks did until they got an Islamic government, um, and. Uh, and so you have a very volatile situation. Sounds like, you know, over 100 years ago in the Balkans, except this time the Balkans are the Persian Gulf, and it all may go booming again. The lights may go out, you know, for a lot longer than they did last time. Well, Dan, let me make one other point, too. I mean, it, this is a war about nuclear proliferation, too. Uh, Arabs are scared of oh, the Iranians. Getting uh, they're not scared of an Israeli nuke. But why are they scared of an Iranian nuke? Because of the nature of the Ayatollah regime. They'd use it. And I, I'm gonna. I've got some other stuff I've got to do this morning, guys. So I think we all do. I <laughs> do. <laughs> so, uh, the it's it's been an interesting conversation, and this is something that I think we'll closely follow over the next uh, few months. So thanks, guys. We'll see you next okay. time. Bye. Take care.